Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Right now, though, we are going to West Island to catch up with our good mate Pete Fairburn, who no doubt is still fizzing after the Wallabies beat the Springboks in Adelaide of all places. G'day, Pete. How you doing? Yeah, afternoon or evening, Ricardo. I was just thinking it was a great afternoon in Adelaide. Uh, great to see the Wallabies playing some some test rugby in the sunshine and even more so getting the win against the Springboks. So really pleasing um, first result there, you know, at, at home in the rugby championship for the Wallabies. And look, I, I think what we saw, um, you know, it's easy to say after the fact, but didn't actually surprise us that much with the, the players that we had available for selection. It, it looked like a strong team when it was named. Uh, a few of those guys had missed matches recently um, and, and we're pretty confident going into it. The Springboks haven't won in Australia since 2013, Ricardo, which is a, an amazing stat. So, uh, look, a great result. Pretty disappointing last 15 or 20 minutes and a little bit reminiscent of what we saw in that first test against the English as well, where we did slip off in the last quarter. And hopefully that's not a sign of, of what's to come. And hopefully Dave Rennie's able to to rouse the boys um, and get them to, to put in a back-to-back repeat performance, which we haven't seen um, that much of at test level this year. We haven't recorded back-to-back wins. So that's the challenge next. Uh, this coming Saturday night, brand new uh, version or um, edition of Allianz Stadium in Sydney. It's been rebuilt, will be reopened this weekend. So the first time they'll play there. We don't have a very good record of test match performances in Sydney at all over the last decade. I think we're only... Um, or sorry, over the last 10 performances. I think we've only won maybe two of our last 10 in Sydney um, across both venues. So massive challenge, um, but um, but hopefully we can go back to back and and really from there um, start to think of ourselves as genuine contenders to win the rugby championship. Yeah, that, that record that you're talking about of South Africa in Australia is incredible because I look at that Springboks team, particularly over... You know, you talk since 2013, but that, that Springboks team probably over the last 20 years, and it just always feels like it's a stronger team than anything that uh, that you blokes will have been able to wheel out. But I, I saw this stat the other day. Um, over your entire history, you've played the box 42 times in Australia, and they've only won 12, which blew my mind. We're a couple of stat rats, aren't we? But yeah, look, it's... It's surprising, and, and, you know, I always read about the rivalry um, between, you know, the All Blacks and the Springboks from that New Zealand perspective, and, and, you know, that they speak about, you know, the Springboks providing a challenge and a platform for New Zealand rugby that Australia doesn't, and that's why, you know, it, it's so important that, um, you know, for New Zealand rugby that, that South Africa stay part of the rugby championship and, and don't join a, you know, a Six Nations-style competition, and I always look at that and I always think, gee, it's strange that we don't seem to have that same kind of rivalry with the Springboks. And I think maybe it comes down to the fact that generally the home team wins, whether it's them over there or us here. Um, we don't necessarily have these, um, you know, these nail biters or, or these high octane, high pressure affairs that we're used to in the Bledisloe Cup. Um, you know, generally um, our guys front pretty well against them at home and, and, and then likewise over there. But um you know, what, what we haven't been able to do is, is match them, I guess, physically in the pack over the years. And, and generally, Australian teams have played 
a more aggressive ball in hand style than the South Africans, and and that's perhaps translated well to you know the the surfaces we're playing on and the climate over here. Um, and then when we go over there at altitude and uh, you know in front of a, a pretty um, you know intimidating crowd, I guess when you're playing in the Republic, it, it's been a little bit tougher. But um, look, there is a rivalry there, and um, the theatrics of Nick White on the weekend will only enhance that rivalry. I saw he got chirped pretty hard at, at Adelaide Airport by some South African fans yesterday who weren't happy with the, the way he went down and, and earned a yellow card for his opposite number, Faf de Klerk, with the uh, you know the contact to the face there. But uh, it isn't a rivalry in the same sense that Australia, New Zealand, or even um, New Zealand, South Africa is. Do you do you think um, Jake's nickname now in the uh, in in the dressing room is Oscar? You reckon? <laughs> Nick White. Oh, it's Nick White. Sorry, yeah, not Jake. Yeah, Nick. Yeah, look, we it's um, you know a little bit fortunate, and and it was a pretty risky play from Nick White, right? Because let's not forget that um, you know he decides to go to ground and decides to ham it up, and and actually gets pinned in his own end goal. So. If the decision goes against him and he's told, you know, get up and, and, and crack on, it, it puts the Wallabies under serious pressure. So he's a pretty senior player. Um, you know, one of the more senior players in that Wallabies team. He's been around the block a long time. Um, he's known as being a, a pest on the field and a great bloke off it. Um, you know, and I've heard a lot of his opponents you know, speak about him in that way. But um, I don't know if it's really the look of, of what we want in Australian rugby. I don't know how it'll sit with Dave Rennie. Um, you know, and, and I guess for me, regardless as to whether you think the theatrics are a little bit over the top, I keep coming back to the fact that it was such a significant risk to take um, that he was really relying on, on the referee um, deciding to, to infringe, you know, to blow the infringement on Safta Clerk. So, yeah, pretty risky and, and probably not what we want to see a lot of. How did the, uh, the game go in Adelaide, do you think, from a from a public perception point of view? Because... Uh, I've talked to a few people from South Australia who don't even know what the difference between rugby and rugby league is, let alone would go to a game. Well, we've got this fascinating situation here, as opposed to you guys over there who can't even get 20,000 people to go to Addington Stadium, right? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of, we've got states and state governments who are slipping into their pockets to spend huge money to bring major events to their cities with a real tourism skew to it. So... It, it is different in that sense where, look, Adelaide doesn't have a big rugby culture. Um, you know, there is a, a club rugby team, but it's never had a, a professional culture there. It is a, as passionate an AFL hot, um, hotbed as anywhere you'll find in the country. But they've got this fantastic stadium. We've seen the Adelaide Oval since it, its upgrades. You know, what a great job it does hosting day-night cricket tests. And it's a wonderful venue. And, and the government there, you know, taking state of origin there, um, you know, earlier this year and, and, and now taking the, the double header um, with the Wallaroos, Blackburns followed by the Wallabies Springboks. Feedback was fantastic, nearly 40,000 in the place, great atmosphere, everyone enjoyed the facilities and I wouldn't be surprised to see more matches heading back there and I think, you know, ahead of a, a Rugby World Cup for men and for women coming down these ways in 27 and 29, um, it's only a good thing for Australian rugby to have these different state governments um, you know, we've seen Perth do it, obviously investing a lot of money in taking fixtures there. We'll have um, the Wallabies fa- facing off against the All Blacks in Melbourne for the first time in a very, very long time. So the bit of competitive tension in the marketplace is, is only a good thing for Rugby Australia who, who benefit from, you know, that investment financially. How, how, uh, what's the feeling with the Australian rugby public, mate? How, how confident are you on, uh, on putting a Blairslow 
in, a, in the cabinet and, uh, you know, you're getting new carpet in the trophy room and you're dusting it out. You've got the vacuum in there, the Dyson's <laughs> out. How, how's it all looking? Well, look, I saw Tommy Deason in the Sydney Morning Herald wrote, uh, wrote earlier today, I think it was, or perhaps yesterday, that, you know, it's time to start seriously thinking about is this the year that, um, you know, that we win back to Bledisloe. And, you know, while I appreciate there's fairly mitigating and unprecedented circumstances with the All Blacks at the moment, I couldn't help but think to myself, I've essentially read this article in some way, shape or form every year for the last 20-odd. So, I don't, you know, I'll, I'll take it with a pretty large pinch of salt and, um, you know, let's just focus on, on trying to win two test matches in a row for the first time this year against the Springboks. I think uh, the level of respect for the All Blacks in, in Australian rugby can't be underestimated. And the wounded All Blacks team, you guys could come in without a win in 12 tests and, and we'd still be uh, you know, pr- pretty cognizant, I guess, of of the quality that, that your team can bring on their day. That performance against the Springboks at Ellis Park, I thought at the time that the scoreline did flatter the All Blacks and um, and I wondered um, you know, whether those two late tries had, had played too much of a role in convincing New Zealand rugby to retain Ian Foster. But at the same time, what it did show, regardless of scoreline, is it, it showed guts and it showed courage. And uh, you know, to go over to, to a place like Ellis Park, we we're just talking about how intimidating it is and get the win just shows you know that this this All Blacks team can still front when they have to, and yeah, you know, it's for that reason alone that I think that the you know New Zealand will still come into the Bledisloe Cup as favourites and deservedly so. And uh, you know we've got plenty of green shoots, plenty to be excited about. A lot of young players in our team at the moment as well, um, and and some really budding combinations. I'm loving what we're seeing, for example, from from Hunter Paisami and Lenikatau in the centres and. You know, I'm starting to see some some real growth, um, you know, in, in our forward pack as well. So there is plenty to be excited about, but we're not getting carried away yet. Uh, you're looking though at uh, at strengthening your options, aren't you? I mean, uh, we're seeing this Australian <laughs> rugby got a bit of money in the coffers, and they're going they're going after a leaguey, one of the big names out of the Roosters. Yeah, ten million over five years is, is what the headline said in uh, in the News Corp papers today that that Rugby Australia want to go after Joseph Stuwali. I mean. Justice Suwali is a really interesting one, right? Because he played um, a lot of rugby um, at high school in Sydney on a scholarship at, at Kings. And, um, you know, he, he's a guy who, when he left the Rabbitohs and signed for the Roosters in the first instance, Australian rugby had a massive crack. And there was talk at the time of, you know, a million bucks a year for a 17, 18-year-old to choose to come and play, um, you know, play the 15-man code. And, um, you know, there was even talk at the time that, he had out clauses in his, his Roosters contract you know, that would allow him to play rugby to, to get out if he was going to rugby union as opposed to another NRL club. There was talk about you know, using rugby sevens as a carrot to bring Suwali over to, you know, to go to the Olympic Games. I think what he's demonstrated in his first two years in the NRL, and, and let's not forget, this is a kid who the NRL literally changed the rules for to allow him to play as a 17-year-old. So he's an extraordinary talent and has a you know, a, a, by all accounts, a great head on his shoulders and, and the maturity to, maturity to be able to deal with, um, you know, the explosion of his fame. Um, but he's also a guy who wants to play fullback and, and is playing for the Roosters with the best fullback in, in the competition or, or certainly one of, and James Tedesco not going anywhere. And, and look, you'd even think if Tedesco wasn't playing fullback, then you'd look at, and Joey Manu, who's probably on his day, deserves to be in the conversation of probably the top half dozen uh, fullbacks if he was given a, a consistent run there. So if Joseph Suwali wants to play fullback in the NRL, he's going to have to consider pastures green um, and pastures new. And, and, and I guess 
that brings rugby back into the conversation. Ten million over five years is an extraordinary amount of money to be paying uh, you know, for somebody who um, hasn't played rugby union at a professional level. I don't think it shows great um, financial um, judgment, I guess, and I'd be really surprised if those figures were true. I think if we had that type of money uh, to be throwing around, I, I personally would be looking at ways to make sure we're we're bringing people like Marika Korobetti and Samu Karevi back to play Super Rugby here and actually, you know, really grow um, that competition and the level of support and engagement around that competition. What money do we need to retain, you know, the likes of not only Ataniela Tupo, but guys like Angus Bell who are coming through, showing extraordinary potential, Jordan Pattaya, um, some of these guys who are, you know, going to be critical re-signings, Rob Valentini in coming years. Um, I think that's where the money could be going. All that being said... And this will probably fire up a Kiwi audience, but I, I looked at the article and I looked at some of the names they talked about. And Angus Crichton's got a, a history in rugby union, played Australian schoolboys. They talked about Matt Burton. They talked about Tom Trebojevic and some of these guys whose skill set would transfer well over to rugby union. One who caught my eye, who I know played rugby at a high level in New Zealand, and I reckon you'd find a, a place for in, in Wallaby Gold, was Big Nelson Afosa Solomona. Um, as a point of difference, somebody of that size, um, you know, with that skill set, and you know, somebody who knows the game and and played, you know, you, you might have to correct me here, but I, I'm pretty sure played at a, you know, at a Wellington level as a, a junior, and and has obviously been over here, uh, well and truly long enough at the Melbourne Storm to qualify, um, you know, to play for Australia. He'd be someone who I'd be really interested in having a look at and, and could bring a real point of difference. Mate, I'll tell you what, the thing though with Nelson Asafa Solomona, he has gone full grub uh, at Melbourne since Cameron Smith left. And uh, I think he'd be sitting on the sideline more than playing, to be honest, if he carried that on in rugby, the way that the uh, the judiciary works in Super Rugby or at Sands are. But anyway, that's a conversation for another time. Uh, we should talk BBL draft, mate, because it made the headlines over here, not just Trent Bolt, but Colin de Gronholm getting picked up. Uh, despite not having an agreement with New Zealand cricket that he could do so. Yeah, and look, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, didn't we, Ricardo? When when details were still kind of emerging about what, um, you know, how Cricket Australia was going to try and attract overseas players into the draft and the amount of money they could earn for for playing, you know, essentially the first half of the season and and what levels of unrest that was providing you know, within the Australian cricketing fraternity. We talked about the competing competitions in the UAE and South Africa, you know, both happening in January and what impact that would have, not only on the BBL, but on the, the global um, you know, cricket marketplace, I guess. And, and gee, over the last four weeks, hasn't that just you know, gone to another level, really? I mean, Trent Bolt, uh, you'd think would be the first of many, um, you know, particularly at some of these, um, and I say this with the greatest respect because I think New Zealand cricket um, has done some extraordinary things in recent years and has a lot to be proud for. But you know, outside of, of, of the England, Australia, India, who financially at the very least are the cricket powerhouses in the world, these other countries can't compete financially, can't get anywhere near the levels of, of, um, you know, of salary that, that players can earn if they, they decide to basically um, you know, be a free agent and be a T20 gun for hire. So, you know, someone like Trent Bolt making that decision at, you know, such a young age and then, you know, in this instance to Gronholm making that decision uh, and nominating for the draft without getting clearance, clearly the player power is with, um, or the power balance is with the players at the moment. And, you know, I, I don't think what we've seen from the BBL in terms of the draft, you know, a number of big 
names from a, a kind of headline perspective got left. You know, Fatu Plessis wasn't picked. Dre Russell wasn't picked. Um, as these teams look for players who either they think can have a you know a better impact on results, or they look for players who are going to play the entirety of the competition. That's not going to please the broadcasters over here who are already locked in legal battles with Cricket Australia about the, the dwindling popularity of the Big Bash. They want to see the biggest names playing in their competition, and, and that's not what really has happened here at the BBL draft. So I think there's going to be a flashpoint at some stage in regards to the BBL, in regards to what it looks like in the future, who's playing it, what they're paid, and, 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 and that you know where it's broadcast. And I can't help but think back to some comments Daryl Mitchell made um, that I read a couple of weeks ago about how you know really the BBL um, you know is an opportunity for Cricket Australia to join forces with New Zealand cricket and um, you know maybe come up with a, a T20 competition that's across both um, you know both Australia and New Zealand and, and and that there might be a model there. I actually thought that was a really interesting idea and something worthy of, of consideration. Private ownership and investment is clearly needed in the Big Bash if it's going to keep up with, you know, these these other big overseas leagues. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent right. I, I did think it was a good move uh, nailing David Warner down to a two-year deal to play in the Big Bash, meaning that he wasn't going to go play off in the UAE League, which I thought was a bit of a statement of intent. So uh, good to see from Cricket Australia putting their foot down on that front, mate. And now, uh, just finally, before I let you go, Panthers are resting a few this weekend, aren't they? Yeah, 12 out, I think. And uh, and obviously, Ivan Cleary with the final week to serve of his suspension. So, look, it, it, it's a bit, you know, it, it's completely understandable in such a, a physical um, competition. And they've done the hard yards to, to earn their spot at the top of the ladder in the minor premiership. They're doing exactly what they should, which is look out for the interest of the Penrith Panthers. And I think flying to, to Townsville to take on a Cowboys team who are still desperately fighting for a top two spot have everything to play for. It does make a lot of sense to see the Panthers resting so many players. But at the same time, it's really disappointing for rugby league. It's not going to you know, do an awful lot for, for broadcast figures and for attendance at the ground. And um, you know, I look at the AFL, which has got its pre-finals bye, which we had last week, where you know, all teams have a week off to stop this very thing from happening before the final series. And they use that week to launch the AFLW competition for this season, which... I thought it was a nice initiative. There's been talk of a wild card game, um, different things that you could do to keep people's interest up um, with a pre-finals week by. And I don't think it's a bad idea for the NRL to start looking at, at doing something similar. Yeah, good stuff, Pete. Go well, mate. Uh, great to catch up as always. And we'll talk again next week, eh? Good on you, mate. Take care. Yeah, we'll do. You too, mate. Pete Fairburn there with us out of West Island, giving us uh, the view from that part of the world on the big sporting topics. And, uh, yeah, Joseph Suwali being offered big bucks, apparently, by Australian rugby to go over and play for the Wallabies.